0: Hey! Long time no talk. Finally back with some new episodes after uh, a brief break. Some of it for me, and then some of it just having trouble uh, booking people. So, i um, happy to, I guess, announce or tell you that we now have a, a full slot till at least December. I'm going to keep working on more, so lots of great episodes to come, starting uh, with my guest today. So... Trigger warning on this episode, we talk about um, some pretty heavy subjects uh, with in terms of mental illness and abuse. So uh, I wanted to give you a trigger warning right off the bat if that can affect you in any way. Um, I would refrain from listening to at least parts of this episode, if not the whole thing. It is a very heavy story. Um, we talk about my guest's I guess, I don't know how to put this in a, in a nice or correct way, but, um, entry and experience in sex slavery. Uh, I'll just put it honest like that. Uh, so a very heavy subject, some of the things that she had to go through, but not only talking about that very difficult part of her life, but also talking about, you know, how she's overcome some of these obstacles and, and moved into this new brand and, activism uh that's all about mental illness and cannabis and you know a platform to share real and raw stories which i know is a trigger to some people but like i do on my podcast i think it's so critically important we talk about these things because you know we can't ignore them they happen and they happen all around us And we think they're in the movies. We think they're happening someplace far away, but this happened in Canada and not that long ago. And I think it's important that we are aware of this and some of the things that people go through so we can become empowered uh, and inspired to stop it, to, to make long lasting policy change and human behavior changes. So um, I, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. It was tough at times, but really important to me to hear it. So please give it up for my guest, Devin Hall, the loudmouth brown girl.
1: You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes
0: finally back with some new episodes and pleased to be joined here today uh to kick off um not new season but we'll we'll say that for now uh devon hall thank you so much for joining me
1: thanks for having me i'm pretty stoked to be here i don't get to do a lot of podcasts these days
0: and we were uh connected through friend of the show and uh twitter pal ashley so shout out to ashley for making the recommendation here of uh super shout out
1: thank <laughs> you ash i i seriously i love that girl and when I, it's funny, cause when I first met her, I was like, okay, she's really nice and normal. And then I interviewed her for my podcast, which is coming out in a couple of weeks. And I was like, nope, she's not, she's just like <laughs> me. And that's perfect. Like we vibe and it's good. And I just adore her.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, it's funny. I, it's that, that the thing, like whenever I'm giving a speech about mental health, it's like, um, that, that whole thing where it's like, oh, you're not alone. And how much of a, a weird thing to face that is. It's like, oh, wow, yeah, other people have been through shit like I have. But, like, also, I love them for it because they can totally relate to me.
1: I was literally writing a post about that last night. And then I was like, no, I can't. I couldn't post it because it was Thanksgiving. And I'm like, okay, here's the thing. I want to be grateful and I want to be happy. But, like, millions of people died for this holiday to exist. Yeah. And that makes me think that like, cool, I'm not alone because they suffered too, but I'm not grateful that they suffered. So I literally, I had a moment and I was like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to not do a Thanksgiving mm-hmm. post and just, I'm just going to let this year ride.
0: Yeah. And I'm similar to sort of, it. sort of like Canada day when, uh, you know, we were, that was happening. like it's, those are good discussions and we're going to get into that, but I want to start, you are known online as the loudmouth Brown girl.
1: <laughs> um, and,
0: and I want to know, yeah, how did that identity, that name, uh, besides maybe the obvious, uh, come to be?
1: Um, it's funny because publicly, I always talk about how I got arrested and the cop called me a loudmouth brown bitch. And shout out to him because, like Rihanna, got nothing on me. This is going to be the biggest brand in the world one day. Um, but it actually started when I was a kid. Um, I'm loud. I'm mixed race and my skin color is brown and I was constantly being told to quiet down and lower my voice and stop talking so much. And, you know, it's great that you have ideas, but let the adults handle things. And it's like all of my creativity throughout my entire life was hindered by people telling me who to be and what to be. And even now I'll hear the voice of somebody that's like, do this. And then I'll start doing something. And I'm like, wow. am I doing it? Cause I want to do it. Or because mm. I was told by somebody, usually a white guy to do it years ago. And then, you know, it, it kind of became whatever. Um, but when I got arrested specifically, and he called me that I was sort of, I looked at him for a minute and I'd been screaming. I was in the middle of a panic attack. Um, I had actually just started smoking cannabis and I had not smoked cannabis for like years. Um, I would smoke here or there at a party, but I was very cautious about who I smoked with, when I smoked, how I smoked. And I had just started, and then I'd gone on a trip for CJSF Radio. And because I didn't, like, cannabis was brand new, didn't know if I was allowed to travel with it. I didn't bring anything with me. And everybody on the trip was drinking, and I'm not a big drinker anymore. Kind of did that in my 20s. And so the whole trip was a nightmare. There was racism and somebody stole my keys out of my purse and went through my room and tossed my room around. And the security guard was very understanding. And the university that we were staying at was completely not understanding. Like they didn't get single woman first trip alone as an adult, black woman in a city full of people that don't particularly like black people and are genuinely shocked to see black people. Like one woman walked up to me and she's like, you're black. And I went, yeah, thank you. I know. I've been this way for a while now. I'm like really proud of it. And there was a whole group of white people that I'd been traveling with behind me. And they were like, we can't believe she did that. And I went, really? Like that's, if you're black in Canada or the States, that's kind of not a surprise. It happens, right? So the whole trip was stressful. And then coming home, um, I just kept thinking like, this really sucks. This was my first adult trip. And I was feeling really cool because it was my first adult trip for a radio station. So like, that's really cool. And it was just destroyed by, you know, like I try to ask people for directions and they literally ran from me. It was like, oh my God, black person, don't go talk to her. And um, and then all of the other things. And then coming home, it was like, I don't wanna come home because if I come home, I have to deal with all the stuff that's in my head that was triggered by all the things that I had just gone through. And all the things in my head are really awful terrible evil things and I just started to panic and the airline did not help they moved passengers away from me they called the police they had the plane downed and so it was like a situation that could have just been like calm breathe take your time just got exponentially worse by all of the people who were like oh she's panicking on an airplane and she's brown better call the cops and then racist white cops. And there was a female cop and I was like, she'll understand. No, she was not understanding. So when he called me that um, I came home and I sat on my balcony and I thought about it for a really long time. And I hadn't, I, I, I had weed in my pocket. Um, I don't know if I picked it up. I don't know how I got it, but somehow there was weed in my purse. And I sat and I thought about it and I was like, get drunk, get super freaking hammered because you can feel a whole lot of stuff coming or get high because you can feel a lot of stuff coming and you don't want to be an alcoholic. And that was kind of the thought process. And so I got high and I started painting and I started drawing and I started writing. And these were things that I had never done in my life. Mm. And I started dancing and I got weird. Like I would drum on my legs for hours. And my mom's like, can you get bruises? Like that's a little, that's And what it was, was all of the parts of myself kind of being like, oh, we are done. We're done with racism and being raped and being traumatized and being abused by white people. Um, And cannabis being like, oh, cool, we're going to heal now. And that healing process led me to creating Loudmouth Brown Girl. Because by by nature, I'm a writer. And I always thought, like, I'm going to write the great fiction novel of Canada and I'm going to tell this cool story about Gastown in Vancouver and um, you know it was going to be like I'm going to sell it to Harlequin Romance and I'm going to make a million dollars and be a famous author and that did not happen Um, it started being about me and about the things that I went through and it's now exploded into this weird thing where I'm like I can say what I want and do what I want and not care because it's the job to not care Mm. what other people think So it's been a pretty cool and weird and um, strange experience. Mm -hmm.
0: There's a lot to be said about art in general. So whether that's, you said painting, writing, podcasting, music, and how therapeutic and cathartic that could be to any healing process. I know for myself, um, writing and music are all are a huge thing for me when I'm, when I'm going through like a depressive episode or something. So before all this, um, you've, you threw out a couple pretty hard-to-hear things already. Um, prior to this, this new platform and identity as Loudmouth Brown Girl, were you was mental illness something you always struggled with? Um, <laughs> and was that story, like the story, I mean, you kind of gave me a warning off the top before we started recording, and I'll just kind of let you go and tell your story the way you would like it to be told. But was, you know, how did this all come to be and, and to reach that point of the story you just told? So
1: I'm going to pause your audience right now and I'm going to do a little bit of a trigger warning on my own. Um, the story that I have in my head is discombobulated. There are pieces missing. There are names missing, dates missing, hours missing, weeks. There are solid weeks of my teen years that are completely blacked out um, by what I went through. And so take a minute and, and really think about whether or not you want to hear this. But if you're still listening, um, I was a child sex slave mm-hmm. and I was raped by more than one prolific, well-known, famous people. I have named them in the past when I first started loudmouth, but I'm not going to do that now Mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons, but namely my safety um, is pretty much the the thing that I'm most concerned about and the safety of other victims. Um, But they are, they're incredibly famous and they're incredibly famous for being rapists and for keeping women like adult women against their will and confining them in spaces that they shouldn't be confined it's not as well known that there were children involved and there were many of us. Um, There were drugs, there was brainwashing. There were beatings that um, there were things that happened to me that people who worked at Guantanamo Bay have been arrested for um, in Canada. And I would love to give you an age of when it started, but like For me, sexual abuse started really young. I remember being baptized um, and the priest doing something that he shouldn't do. I remember another priest doing something he shouldn't do. Um, And then standing in front of my class at my school that was attached to the church telling us that if we engaged in sexual activity, not only was it the girl's fault, but that we would be going to hell. It's less bad if it's the boy, but if it's the girl, clearly she wanted it because otherwise the boy wouldn't wouldn't advance, was basically the message that we were given. Um, So there was a lot. There was a lot of bullying. There was a lot of teachers kind of knowing what was going on, but in the 90s, we weren't as open with with sexual abuse conversations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so nobody taught us how to say things like oh okay so I was just raped um so instead of saying those words I would scar my body I would trip and fall or I would um accidentally on purpose cut myself I would scratch my legs um, I have scars up and down my legs and every single one represents a time when I've been sexually abused or emotionally and mentally violated um I'm oddly proud of them because I'm like these are my battle wounds and I survived but by the same token um today for instance it's weird I'm wearing a dress I never wear dresses and I saw a TikTok that was like maybe I'm just too lazy to wear pants and I was like yes that's it I'm too lazy to wear pants and so I'm very confident in my scars and I'm I'm trying to save money to do a photo shoot so I can proudly show them off but um they come from very dark places and it's largely because in the 90s we didn't know how to express like I said um the fact that we had just been abused and when someone come came to us and said hey I've just been abused the person receiving that information often didn't know how to react because we didn't talk like we talked about PTSD in Alberta a lot but specifically, it was like, well, soldiers get PTSD because mm-hmm. look what they've just been through in Iraq and Afghanistan. And it was, I think, Oprah in like 19 something or other 90. Um, she had Queen Latifah on. And I was I had just done a stint at a mental hospital, uh, which is one of the worst mental hospitals in British Columbia. And I would like you to think like locked doors, automatic metal doors, you know the whole bit. Um, security guards and peepholes, everything, right? So it was it was an intimidating place. And my mom was listening to Oprah when I got home, and I was doing the dishes. And Queen Latifah said I was raped, and I dropped the dish in my hand into the sink. And I remember looking to my right and remembering that I had been raped in that kitchen by grown men who had broken into my house and who had bought me. And my mom was at work and I had been sworn to secrecy and brainwashed and all the things a neighbor knew, a neighbor downstairs knew, um, because she had come upstairs to grow sugar and they were there, the, the, the men that abused me. And she was threatened with death to stay silent. So she never said anything. She had a young child. And um, when Queen Latifah said that, I came out of the kitchen and into the dining room and I looked at my mom and I said, that happened to me once. And the truth was that it had happened several times over several years by several different abusers. Tyler Perry talked about this on Oprah as well, that black kids tend to, or colored children, Tend to be abused prolifically throughout yeah. their lifetime by many different abusers in many different stages of their life. Yeah. And um, she said, What do you mean? And I said, What Queen Latifah just said, it happened to me. And that was the end of the conversation. We never talked about it again. She didn't know what to say. And um, I didn't know how to describe it. How do you tell your mother? that you were forced to do things on the same chair that she is currently sitting in when you're 15 or um, that your banister was used for things that banisters shouldn't be used for. Right. Um, And so we never talked about it. And then when I had the panic attack and I started just getting angry, like angry, 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 And any survivor, any victim, that is my best advice. Like, get pissed. Get angry that you've been violated, that you've been abused, that you've been traumatized, that your safe space has been destroyed by people who think that they have the right to destroy your space because they want to. Because that's really how Loudmouth got started. I came out, told my story, I named names. I didn't care. The first year was all about, like, here it is, world. This is, this is my darkness because I needed to get it out. I needed to release it. And the second year, I kind of calmed down and I was like, oh, that was probably a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not my best, my best moment. And I laugh because I think it's hilarious. Like It took me being kicked by a cop to finally be like, wow, I'm done.
0: Your story, I mean, a lot it's of crazy, that, right? It, it's one of those things where, especially, you know, someone like me who grew up in middle-class, like near, like where I'm from Ottawa, like, it's just, those are the types of stories that you're like, Oh, that's in the movies. Oh, that's in the news somewhere far away. Yeah. You never think about it at home. And it's such a cognitive dissonance for all of us. Like, because, you know, traf- sex trafficking is on the rise, not only yeah. around the world, but here in Canada. I,
1: I'm going to correct you because I don't think that it's on the rise. I think okay. what's happening is that more and more people are talking about it. Right. In the 90s, we didn't use words like sex trafficking in conjunction mm. with countries like America, England, Ireland, Scotland, Canada. We, it, those were not conversations that we had growing up, right? It was like, that's the kind of stuff that happens in Africa. Mm. right and so mm. I, I seriously grew up thinking sex trafficking only happened in africa and then literally a week ago i saw one of my rapists um, on the news being charged and i went oh my god i'm a part of a conspiracy and it was like this freaky fucked up moment where i'm like holy oh shit
0: Hmm. Like so that's one day point. that's
1: going to be a TV movie. And actually one of my abusers has a TV movie based on what he did, hmm. which is disturbing. Innovative. Yeah.
0: It, you know, but I just wanted to touch on the point too that um, stuff like the internet. So your platform, whether it's mm-hmm. what you see on, on Twitter nowadays with women coming forward with their stories of abuse, because so you said for the most part, you tried to tell your mom that um, what happened and you didn't really know how to deal with it. And even being able to come forward and even say that to your mom, I think is hard for a lot of victims of abuse. I've never been a victim, but I have heard enough stories now from friends and people on this show, how, how difficult it is and why women as women, especially don't come forward with it. Did you try to, Tell anybody else what happened. Um, Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is, were you believed? Because that seems to be the biggest issue. No.
1: No. Um, I, so one of my abusers, we'll call him TV movie guy. He followed my family from Alberta to be here in BC before traveling somewhere else. Um, and so when I came forward, right before, right in and around, when I started loudmouth, um, I wrote six journals and I named all of the names that I could remember of other victims. And I had actually gotten gang raped again, (laughs) not too long ago. I couldn't, I can't tell you exactly what year, but not too Mm -hmm. long ago. And many of the boys that I had been forced to lay in my own bed with as a child, um, because of this man. Grew up to be men who raped me again. So that's fun. It's a good, terrible, awful reunion. Um, and I'm flipping about it because I have to be like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to diminish what I went through or what we went through. Like I'm laughing because I, it's just insane to me that, mm-hmm. Like you said, this is not something that the average person can understand living in in a middle-class neighborhood. I have lived in poverty my whole life and even I'm just, fuck. Like, how did this happen that nobody noticed? Um, When I came forward and handed in those journals, somebody was there, a psych nurse, um, because they were doing a wellness check along with me reporting. And I was asked if I knew a specific girl. And this girl in particular is actually very famous in my community um, because her boyfriend was a gangster. And I say was because about three weeks after I was asked about her, she overdosed in a hotel room. So I made three reports in two different cities. And I was called psychotic. I was called crazy. I was committed um, a couple of times. I had a massive panic attack and rushed to my tattoo artist to be like, call the freaking police, call the paramedics. I need to go to the hospital. And I couldn't even get the words out because I was in such a state of shock. Um, I was in an appointment with a counselor. And... Um, while we were talking about why I was blocked in my fiction writing, which is what my focus had been from the beginning of our meetings, I realized that this particular counselor who I found on Google was there the night that I was gang raped. So I'm sitting in his office and I'm looking at him and I'm trying to figure out like why all of a sudden After like three months of seeing this counselor, do you suddenly feel so familiar? And I just picked up a bag of weed. So I was like in a good mood. I was like, I'm going to go to my counseling appointment. I'm going to get some stuff off my chest. I'm going to go home. I'm going to bang out that first chapter and I'm going to get my book read. Right. And I'm in the middle of downtown Vancouver and like, which is an hour and a half away from where I live. So I'm as far away from home as I can get. I don't drive Thank God, because that would have been a nightmare. And I'm realizing this man that I've come to for safety and protection and love and support knows my rapists and has known all of this time that I was one of his victims and said nothing. And I lost my shit. I started screaming. Um, I made a couple of women Walking down the street as I was leaving the office, call 911 because I knew that I couldn't handle what was coming. It was a trigger. Realizing that this person that you were paying to take care of your mental health is one of your abusers and has been for like years. That was the first time I was like, oh, that's a trigger. And then trying to translate that to the police and say, hey, this happened to me. This is a real thing that happened to me. And they're like, yeah, you're nuts. So I was locked up in Vancouver. I was locked up in Surrey a couple of times. Um, I had doctors who were not only involved but knew what was happening, who lied and said I was crazy on purpose because looks good for them um basically every cliche movie trope that a rape victim can go through I have Mm -hmm. been through and all this to say that like I worry sometimes about telling my story because I don't ever want anyone to think okay well if that happened to her then I can't come forward because there are really great cops out there like there are Um, there's one in particular from Vancouver police department named Brian, whose last name, I I don't know, but he was amazing. Like he talked me down. He was super supportive. He came back after he did aftercare. He checked on me, he checked in with my doctors. He checked in with my, my family. He actually investigated the case. um, And lo and behold, my rapist is on his way to prison. So it worked out. Right. Um, But the process of, realizing what you've been through acknowledging what you've been through writing it down and putting it on paper so you can look at it and then going and telling someone that is oftentimes for a lot of survivors worse than the actual abuse because
0: you're reliving it like constantly
1: it's not honestly I've been reliving it for the last three years like everything every single abuser has been kind of popping into my head that's not the worst part it's It's the putting on a show part. Mm. It's the waving your hands and being like, look at me, notice me, understand that I'm telling you my truth, that it matters to me, that it's important to me, that it hurt me, that it violated me. Right. And then trying to find people who are both willing and able to pick up that weight and be like, hey, you're safe with me and actually genuinely be somebody you can be safe with. Mm. Because we didn't talk about abuse in the 90s, because we're not conditioned yet in our um, evolutionary stage to to understand how to cope with abuse and how it affects people. And because Mm. we're still learning about the science experiment of abuse and trauma, there aren't a lot of people who are prepared to be like, whoa, Devin, I'm here. I can physically be here. I can hug you. I can let you scream. I can let you cry. I can be in the same space as you there are not a lot of people that can handle that because they don't know how they've never been taught. Right. And so it's scary when you see somebody who, yeah, she's strong and she's confident and she's powerful. There were whole years that I had no mental health problems. I was pissed off all the time. I just thought it was because I hated people. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it was because I was seriously fucked up. Right. Like I, I didn't know. And so when all that came up, it was like, Oh, that explains a lot. That makes sense. I'm not really crazy. People are just awful. Um, And so I've done a lot of it on my own, but I will say there are some pretty phenomenal people that have stuck by me, Ashley being one of them.
0: Mm -hmm. um, I think you just pointed out some of it's, again, it's the stuff you hear on the news and you can use mm. this example with anything that whether it's abuse, whether it's COVID and the pandemic, whether it's a, a shooting spree in a school, we become so disconnected from the humanity of these stories. So when a woman or a, a person comes forward with their stories of their abuse- It's, it's like so, seeing
1: a unicorn.
0: Yeah, it's so easy to just be like, you know, like, oh, it's like a movie, right? Like you're just like, oh yeah, okay, whatever. Or like able to poke holes or something, especially when you don't understand trauma and PTSD and and all the things that go with it, where your memory becomes fragmented, just like you said, right off the top that you'll remember bits and pieces, but not all of it or names or you'll remember faces, right? And so when you're looking for, I'll say, quote unquote, justice, especially in our justice system. And you're looking for this very descriptive narrative. It can't be there. It's almost never there. And that's it's, it's not. And that's Somebody how asked me. They were like,
1: they were like, when are you going to write a book about your life? And I'm like, never, <laughs> never. I write about, you know, the life lessons and I write about certain instances where I learned something but I specifically stay away from like this person did this on this day at this time. And Mm. because I, I'm really learning and I I will, I'm going to shut out the Afro Canada Bud sisters here because I actually left the group because I realized I was traumatizing them by sharing my trauma with them. Right. And it, it wasn't, I wasn't meaning to and they weren't trying to be cruel or anything, but like my stuff is so dark and so twisted that like you said, like, and like I said, they, they, they couldn't believe it. And they were like, at the end of a conversation with me for them it's like, Oh, now I got to decompress from kind of trying to take Devin's load. Um, and so I'm, I'm really lucky that I have a huge support system, but I only have that support system because I lost my freaking mind. Mm. Right. Like I went nuts and when I think about my writing, I'm like, I don't want to contribute to trauma porn because there are some super sick people out there that are like, oh, she went through that. That's really hot. No, it's not. It's twisted. It's evil. It's disgusting. It's wrong. It's all of the things that are terrible about humanity. That's what I went through. Right. And on one hand, I don't want to traumatize people. And on the other hand, I don't want it to be like, I, I just don't want the comments of like, oh, well, why didn't you just leave? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Because I was freaking brainwashed, man. Like literally brainwashed. And when I say that, people are like, oh, she just means she got hit. No. My brain was rewired literally by hypnotism, right? And when you say that, people are like, but hypnotism doesn't work. Oh, yes, it does. And I'm not the only one. And and so it's really difficult sometimes for me to write or to, to even be the loudmouth brown girl, because I'm like, I can't, I, I just can't do it today.
0: Mm-hmm. That's the thing about, you know, you said hypnosis, but even, you know, manipulation, uh, you talk about things like Stockholm syndrome, um, you know, all Stockholm these syndrome
1: is definitely something I was going through.
0: Yeah. Like, people like that's the thing what people don't understand why don't you just leave why didn't why didn't you you know why don't you just say no why don't you like you know all the excuses and putting the onus on you as the victim instead of us and the society does this instead of being like why didn't the abusers not abuse right we're always trying to find ways for the victim
1: oh my god i think i love you (laughs) do you want to get married and like not have babies (laughs) and not really get married Um, um yeah that's it exactly Why did you do that all the time? Yeah.
0: Um, Especially with young women. uh, I think about the college scan, right. It's just, it's always, well, why didn't you do this certain thing to like protect your safety instead of putting the onus on people in particularly men to not abuse and rape people. Like I just,
1: I can, I can tell you what that is in the nineties. I am sure you had this conversation with your parents. Don't put your hand on the stovetop because it's hot. And then if you do it and you get burned, they're like, but we told you it was hot. Okay, great. Well, you didn't tell me that my best friend was going to grow up to be a rapist because he was abused as a kid too. Like, I didn't know that that was going to be something I had to go through and you didn't prepare me for this. Right. And it's because my mom, God love that woman because she puts up with hell for me, um, my mom grew up in the fifties and they did not talk about mm-hmm, abuse. Mm-hmm. Her parents grew up in the twenties. They certainly did not talk about abuse. Their parents grew up in the 1910s. Abuse was not a word that was used. It wasn't even in the dictionary, right? If a woman got pregnant in 1910 against her will, she either got an abortion and she was shamed because how dare she get pregnant or she was killed. Cause how dare she get pregnant or she was forced to marry her rapist who then resented her because he had to marry her to keep up looks and present. And like, it just, it's, it's never stopped. Women have always been the person that gets blamed because it's easier to blame the victim than it is to go after Mm -hmm. the criminal. And it really is easier to go after the criminal because we, we have memory lapses. We have PTSD, we have trauma and the world doesn't understand trauma. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. It's, um, I don't like, I wish, it I mean, I, yeah. I mean, just to put it plainly, <laughs> absolutely. Um, when you created this and you started sharing your story kind of publicly for the first time, have you had a lot of people, I wouldn't even say that. Have you had people reach out, sharing their stories, yes. sharing that maybe they were part of this with you and like this, like, was there a no. lot of people reaching out?
1: No, 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 there's not. There is nobody from my past commenting or posting or, (coughs) um, sharing their side. And I think it's because they're scared. A lot of the boys Mm -hmm. that are now men have kids and, um, I am terrified that they're going to abuse their kids. I'm sure they're terrified. They're going to abuse their kids um I'm sure the people in their lives are terrified that they're gonna abuse their kids I have put a spotlight on a lot of people without even like even naming some people in in those journals um naming some people on the blog and then taking it back and being like let me take those names down there are people in my community who know who did what mm. and in my I mean in my neighborhood, and. Um, Sometimes I'll walk down the street and I'll get a nod from people. And I'm like, you read the blog. Because Mm. when I first started, I wrote a blog post about how if you recognize somebody in camouflage, chances are they're wearing that because they're a survivor. And that pattern Mm. reminds them of the battle that they're going through. And I I say that because I grew up next to an army base. And that's what that pattern means to me. It means like fucking fought for your life, (laughs) your whole life. You fought fought to survive this. And so I had written a long post about, you know, nodding and just kind of acknowledge if you know, somebody is a survivor, Here are some simple things you can do to, to acknowledge that you understand they've struggled. And so I'll get a nod every now and then I'll get a smile. Um, I remember when I first started it, I was at new S sky train and this Indian woman, bloody gorgeous Indian woman, by the way, she looked at me and she smiled this giant smile and she looked down at her little girl who had to be about eight or nine and she nodded her head and she looked at me and she's like kind of doing this and I was like holy fuck she read the blog mm-hmm. like that she's telling me she read the block and that was the moment that I was like "Yep, yeah, this is me this is this body this mind this soul is the Loudmouth Brown Girl. Um, I've also, though, had people who look at me who I know I've never met before in my life, but I know they've read the blog because they will walk across the street and they'll do, like, a U-turn. <laughs> so, like, they'll cross the street and then cross back to, like, get away from me. It's like any association with me is a danger. And it just makes me laugh because I'm like, all right, that, that tells me that you know who I am, you know what my message is, and you stand with my abusers. Cool, Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you for showing me who you are, because now I know to stay the hell away from you, right? Um, And I appreciate that, I appreciate both. Um, But in terms of people who were involved, not a single person has come forward to say, she's not crazy and it happened, which I kind of expected.
0: I, on one hand, I understand, especially with people who are victims, but, like, to know that, like, no one's willing to be in your corner from that aspect of it. Like, I, I, you, you sound like you've come to some sort of peace with it, but I imagine that wasn't easy.
1: I think the hardest part, like, there were people, I still cry. I cry every day. There is not a single day that goes by that, that this body does not cry over what happened. Um, and there are people that I miss very much and personalities that I like am super grateful that I got to meet. Right. Um, I got to meet some pretty cool people. But I'm pretty content with them not being in my life Mm. because even though they were really cool people, they were also really toxic people. And the thing you have to understand is a lot of the guys that were abused when I was a kid with me or who abused me um, grew up to become gangsters and they joined several gangs, some of them famous, some of them not. And so That's the rule. You leave. That's it. You're on your own. Like you, you, you are done. You are on your own and we're not coming to save you. We're not coming to help you. We're not coming to protect you. Whatever happens, that's what happens. Um, I'm very, very blessed in that there's quite a few gangsters that are like, yeah, go ahead. Come at her. See what happens to you. Um, but that being said, they're still living that life, right? They're still Mm -hmm. living drugs and gangs and girls and their livelihood depends on it. Like I'm, I am not advocating for gang life. Gang life is fucking stupid. If you can get out, leave, run, pack your shit, get the fuck out of town, go as far as you can. But if you can't, I get it. Like I understand, um, gang life gets so, especially when they go after kids, right? Gangs go after kids because they get you when you're young and then they can blackmail you and they can threaten you and they can scare you and they can hold that over your head. And then as you get older and you fall in love and you have kids, now your kids are going to be part of the game, whether you like it or not, because that's their collateral, right? Do as we say or we're going to come after your kids. And so how do you leave? Hmm. How do you pack up three kids when you're living in poverty? Because yeah, you're selling dope But you're selling dope as a low-level street dealer who's been selling dope in the same street for 25 years. Like, I literally know a guy who's been selling drugs on the same fucking corner for 25 years. Sure, he has fancy cars, but they're not his. He has to change them out because they're stolen. Cause it's all a part of the look. It's the aesthetic, right? It's not like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I took my drug money and I went and bought myself a car. No, he took his drug money and he went and stole a car so he can look cool for a couple of days. So how do you leave that life when it's all you've ever known, when your kids are at risk, when the woman you love is at risk. Um, The girl that died, her boyfriend's still in prison. Like she should have gotten married and had kids and she never got the opportunity because she was busy waiting for him to make enough money that they could move on. And then he just never did.
0: It's like um, a, the, just the cycle, right? The and you It's see a this,
1: terrible cycle.
0: And again, it's one of those things, it's more portrayed in America, I think, because we see that a lot more in American media than we do in Canada. Like I don't yeah. think a lot of Canadians, unless they're living it, or like live near it, understand the level of poverty that exists in this country, especially with Indigenous communities, with, uh, you know, uh, immigrant refugee communities, um, and in all these kind of small towns that are, even though the cities, and I know in BC, especially has a a very high homeless population, and the opioid crisis is really Mm. taking its toll, but especially on the, the northern interior of BC, I know is also very hard hit. It's, and it's, I,
1: I would say that it's actually worse in the places where it's coldest in Canada. Right. Um, because it's cold in Canada, man. You can't yeah. like you can't grow cannabis, you can't grow hops, you can't like you can't grow vegetables, you can't there are places that don't have a freaking movie theater, and everyone's like, Oh, what a big deal. You don't have a movie theater, you use Netflix. Well, they don't have cable.
0: Mm, it's that's another cold. thing,
1: yeah. Right? They don't have cable, they don't have news they don't have anything outside of their community all they have is their community and their education by the way sucks and they don't have clean water because the pipes are frozen and so what do you do you do drugs because you just want to forget how miserable life is and how you can't get out because where are you going to work only one grocery store and the four people that work there are not leaving anytime soon because that's their livelihood mm. right and so yeah it's really bad NBC. But it's, it's a lot worse, I think, in places where it's a lot colder in Canada and even in, in places in Alaska um, where they don't have access to first world things. Mm-hmm. Like we joke all the time, first world problems, can't go to Starbucks, got to mm-hmm. go to McDonald's. Okay, well, what if you didn't have a McDonald's in your town? What if it cost you $30 for a head of lettuce? Because there are places in Canada where mm-hmm. it costs $30 for a freaking head of lettuce. Mm-hmm. And that head of lettuce better last year. ass a long time. Cause that $30 might be the only 30 bucks that you have.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's so, so out of sight, out of mind for most of us. Yeah. And we just, we play such ignorant. We're just so ignorant to it. We were put the blinders on. Well, it's just,
1: Cause we're conditioned to be though. Right. Yeah. Um, we like human beings are tribal and it's our natural instinct to stick to our tribes. Yes, we pick our friends through school and we pick our friends through work and stuff. But like, I'm sure there's people you work with and you're like, yeah, you're cool to hang out with at work, but I do not want to see your ass after. Like, I don't want to go for beer. I don't want to go for pizza. I don't want to go to a game. I don't want to be in the same room with you if I don't have to be. Cannot
0: confirm or deny.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so um, when you are, when you're lonely and you you don't have anything, Mm -hmm. what do you do? You do drugs. And then when you can't afford your drugs, well, do me a favor. Go get me some shoes. Go get me a coat. Go do this little favor for me. And then it ends up being bigger favors and bigger favors and bigger favors and bigger favors. And before you know it, you're in a gang. Mm. And like, I worked at a freaking church, dude. I worked at a church serving homeless people and I ended up in a gang or rather I ended up as a gang girl. That was not a choice. I walked into a bar. I sat down to have a beer. And then I kept going back because some of the guys were cute. Mind you, I was drinking a lot. And some of the girls were fun. Again, drinking a lot. And I liked getting dressed up and having a place to go after work.
0: Normal human things. Normal.
1: Normal human things. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next thing I know, I was being gang raped by men that had been boys when I was a girl who had raped me. Like, this was not a choice. This was, I walked into a bar. And as a kid, in Calgary specifically, we had a lot of soldiers come and talk to us about, like, prostitution and how teens get get pulled into prostitution and that kind of thing. And it was always like, they come to you in a mall, they come to you in a church, and they're super nice to you, and then they welcome you into their lives, and blah, 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 blah. No one said it can happen when you walk into a bar. Hmm. Oddly enough, even in Surrey, I thought I was safe not so
0: much. Hmm. What sorts of things I know, like outside of this, this thing that you've created now, I mean, talking about it is never easy. I share my story and I know it's, it's always taxing to do so, but you do so in a way that crash
1: when this is over, like you wouldn't believe.
0: (laughs) So I appreciate your, your energy here for sure to share this with people, but what sorts of things have really helped you get to a place where you're at least able to, you know, keep it together and, and, and share the story the way it needs to be told?
1: I laugh really hard at that because so many people have asked me that. So many people who have heard, like, some of the most extreme details of my story are like, how the fuck are you so sane? Well, like, Seriously. Kinda... Like what, what's wrong with you that you're not still freaking out? Cannabis. Mm. (laughs) Copious, copious, copious amounts of weed. That's it. That's all. And writing. Um, Oddly, maybe a trigger warning, masturbation. Um, The whole reclaiming my body, mine. Mm -hmm. The whole orgasm is mine and no one else gets to feel it but me. Um, there are some times where I'm like, well, that did not feel so great. That was kind of disgusting, actually. Um, but nine, 69% of the time, those moments are fun and awesome and beautiful and self-affirming and um, self-loving. Music, dancing, walking, hanging out with my crazy-ass neighbor who does not smoke enough cannabis, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. Um my kitten, who has deserted yeah, me. Yeah, we've seen
0: him pop up a few times.
1: Yeah, she's pretty amazing. My mom, who drives me fucking mental. Um, so I take, a, I take a lot of my crazy out on her. But my support group, my cannabis mm-hmm. sisters. Um, I work with a lot of amazing women, from Canadian women in cannabis to education. Um, I just joined a new group. Uh, can, uh, women empowered by cannabis, or empowered in cannabis, all women across the spectrum of trauma and abuse and healing, but they're also women who all work in the cannabis industry. Mm. Um, I call myself a can of baby because I'm—I just got certified to be an educator, but I'm still doing my CBD training, mm. um, so I'm still a baby. Um, my kriya ohana, my spiritual family—I get really annoyed at them, and I tell them that I don't care about them very often. Because I I have mental health issues and I'm kind of a bitch, let's be honest. But the people in the world who read my blog, listen to my stories, who get stoned and hear my voice as I'm screaming, what the fuck did I have to go through all that crap for? Um, There's like, there's, I have a wide spectrum of support um, that make me happy and piss me off and inspire me and push me and challenge me and, I call them idiots quite often because I'm like, but I already knew that. And it's just, yeah, I, I love my idiots. I love my geniuses. I love all my people.
0: I think that's, I mean, that's a very normal reaction, which I think must like just be so welcome. Like after everything you've been through to get to a point now where it's just, you know, you have friends that you get in fights with and it's normal and you make up and you can hang out and it's cool
1: that part that part where like we get into fights but we don't hit each other and we're not like hey let's go get in a fight in a parking lot so the boys can take video (sighs) why don't here's the thought we just talk it out Mm. Yeah, like they do on tv like i I remember sitting in a strip club looking at my my actually one of my best friends in the world who i both love and want to kill in equal measure being Mm -hmm. like i just want my reality shows and a beer and he was like, what? And I was like, I want to go home. I want to watch Vanderpump Rules and I want to drink beer. And he's like, why? And I'm like, because they don't try to kill each other and they don't pull out guns. They yell and they scream and they go home and they have sex. And he was like, and this is like no gangster guy. He's like, that actually sounds pretty good.
0: <laughs> I'm wrong with that. <laughs> um, I, I want to touch on the cannabis, but I did want to go back a bit to the, the masturbation part and, yeah. and back specifically, <laughs> not asking it in a grotesque way, no, go ahead, man.
1: I am an open book. I have one, no shame.
0: Um, I have a good, a good friend who also has suffered some pretty horrific things. And, you know, I asked her why, you know, cause you hear it as jokes and all the time, especially with men where you get women who are especially into kinks have uh, I don't even want to say usually. I don't know the statistic, but you know, when a woman who's more into kinks are very open about their sexuality, um, at least in my anecdotal experience, have been a victim of some sort of abuse. And the way she described it to me is, it's kind of you mentioned it, but I want to go into a little bit more detail. Detail is the control. It's that you you have the ownership of the control, whether it's of your orgasm, whether it's of this this dangerous kind of scenario you put yourself in but is under control that like that is some like is it therapeutic is it you know i'm just trying to like understand sort of that psychological aspect of it because you know something that i could never understand myself you
1: would make a good counselor cuz you're making me think about things that i don't really want to talk about but that i need to and should if well, um, you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to talk <laughs> no, about no it's good it. it's 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 good it's good there's a purpose behind everything. And this, this in particular might explain some of that. So I don't know if you've ever heard of Mm IMVU, but I used to go on there a lot. And, um, I was constantly getting into these like pseudo online relationships that were not relationships with guys who wanted me to call them daddy, who I wanted to call daddy. And as my kind of like obsession with the daddy kink started to wear off, I started really looking at like the kinds of guys that I was getting into these connections with. And I was like, you're really lame. Like you're not dominant at all. And that's what I need. Like I, I wanted somebody to take control and to like, tell mm. me who to be and tell me how to be. And literally none of these guys could do that. Cause I'm super confident. Like <laughs> I cry all the time. I have, I have bad days, but I really am super freaking confident. I walk out of the house in shorts and my legs are hairy and my scars are short. I don't give a fuck. Like if, if my hairy legs are the worst thing you have to complain about, fuck off. Like go clean some water. I don't know. <laughs> Help an indigenous kid go to school. Okay. Leave me alone. Um, And so I met this one guy and he was super lame, but I liked his voice and I was, I was like, yep, I really like your voice. So I'm going to keep you around for a while. And the more that I talked to him, the more I was like, you're really stupid. Like, you're really dumb. Like, just intellectually, you're a fucking idiot. And I did not go to college. I did not go to university. And you dating And you're so dumb. Like, why am I wasting my time with you? And it was really because I just didn't want to feel alone. Mm-hmm. And like, on the opposite of that, right? In my real life, I wasn't dating. I was not choosing to have sexual relationships. I was deliberately spending time with men that the men in my life who decided that they owned me um didn't like like on purpose i did something with person who wears patch in a freaking parking lot not my proudest moment didn't give a fuck because it was my way of being like this is mine this is my i will share this with who i want to mm. and So these relationships that I was getting into online and thinking about who I did what with, um, and the reason that it's so weird is that this particular person is like super, has a reputation for being super dangerous. I will say it's a little exaggerated in the in, in certain areas, I have to be careful of what I say. So if mm-hmm, I'm stuttering, mm-hmm. it's not because I'm making shit up. I just, I really have to be careful of what no, I say. No problem. Um, anyways, so this person has a reputation. And there were people who saw not what happened or anything. It wasn't like, we didn't have sex in a parking lot, okay? But there were some things that went down that were fun for me and I hope for him. And it was not well-received. And because it was not well received, um, I got punished. And I remember during the the night of the rape, I was like, who the fuck do you people think you are? Like, seriously. And one of the guys in the room, he was like, you are so-and-so's piece of ass. And I was like, no, no, I'm not. Nope, that's not true. That's a load of bullshit. And the reason that that's important is because when we're talking about sexual pleasure and masturbation and abuse, right? It's not even always control. It's reconditioning your brain. Trauma actually rewires your brain. It like it chemically alters your mm-hmm. brain to, to mm-hmm. make you think you deserved it. You did something wrong. There was a girl on a train many months after what happened to me happened, and a man had taken a picture of her under the skirt. And I was standing right there. And I said, sit down. And she's like, why? I said, sit down. Like, he's taking your picture. And I wanted to scream and I wanted to yell, but I was kind of still in my newbie. I've been abused to their face. So I didn't Mm. kind of, I kind of was just sort of very passive about my words to him. And she said to me, what did I do? And like, I died inside Mm. because I was like, you didn't do anything. You wore a freaking skirt. Because you, you wanted to wear a skirt, because you wanted to be pretty, and, and you wore a skirt, and he took advantage. That's what happened. You did nothing wrong. And I came home from that encounter, and I thought about the IMV, you guys, and I thought about the real guys, and I thought about the parking lot guy, and I went, I did nothing wrong. I was not dating anybody. I was not married. I was not engaged. I was, in fact, deliberately not dating anybody in those days because everybody I knew was in a gang, and I did not want to become a baby mama. That was like my worst fear. Somebody has been asking me for years, like years, move with me. I'll take care of you. Love you. I'm like, no, I no, I this is a man free zone. This is all mine. Right. And it's not just, I want to an orgasm and I want to feel like it's me in control. It's me reminding the little girl inside of myself, right. Who went through all that trauma yo, you, you're allowed to be single. I grew up thinking I needed to get married and have babies in order to have the stability that I didn't have in my home life as a child. And so I sought out any relationship that I could have looking for the stability that I didn't get as a kid. And now I'm like, yo, your house is a mess. Um, you have four freaking cats and you're 38 and you live with your mom and you're happier than you've ever been in your life. How did that happen? Mm. Oh, and you're single and you give yourself the best orgasms you've ever had and you drink when you want and you smoke weed when you want and you're safe in your home at long last. Right. And it's, so it's all about conditioning the brain and less about the conditioning. The body already knows. Mm. Body knows that this isn't fair, that it's not right. It's the inside of your brain that needs to be reminded. You actually can be whoever you want. And if you want to after abuse, get up on stage and dance naked. Baby, go for it. What do you have to hide at this point?
0: Right. I think um, women in particular, like, just condition that way, right? That you're meant to grow up, have kids, find a husband, just get married. Uh, and that, like, any sort of deviation. And to your point, which is probably... The most counterintuitive, like the counter opposite of what society tells you, you need to be happy, right? That like- you know what's
1: funny is my mom, I remember I was 12 years old and it was in Calgary and I was muddling because I wanted to be a muddle. I wanted to be Tyra Banks, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember overhearing her say to a, a coworker at my school that she was really proud that like I wasn't boy crazy. And I literally thought, oh, I wish she hadn't said that. Because in my brain, I was like, do everything the opposite of what your mom says, because it's not cool to do what your mom says. So as soon as she said that, I like immediately became boy crazy. Because I was 12. And that's what happens when you're 12. You do everything other than what your mom says. Um, And then when I turned 36, and I was like, so what if I told you I wanted to maybe marry a chick? She looked at me, she's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, do whatever you want. Just be happy. And I went, oh, okay. (laughs) I shouldn't have been surprised because my mom is super open and super cool. And I'm pretty sure she's secretly gay. But um, (laughs) years of being conditioned, yeah, you need a man. You need kids. You need to, like, settle. Many of the guys, when are you going to settle down and get a guy? Mm. And so I would bring these atrocious guys to our table and they would just shake their heads at me and be like, what the fuck's wrong with you? And I'm like, well, you said get a guy. You didn't say get a good guy. You didn't say get a hot guy. Get a good guy with a job. You said get a guy. I got a guy. Like, will you leave me alone now? And that didn't work,
0: so. It goes down all the way, and it's something I noticed because I have um, little brothers and sisters, and it goes down all the way to when they're literally five, six, seven, where you're like, yep. oh, do you have a boyfriend? Do you have a girlfriend? Do you, And it's like, I kind of stop <sighs> and like, not only should I not be saying boyfriend or girlfriend because that is... Presupposing that they are straight, so stop that. But also, it's not appropriate to really. I, I know it's a joke and you mean it lighthearted, but it's just one of those things that you add on to the rest of the narrative of, of your childhood growing up as you're conditioning them to fit what society tells us what we need to do, right? Like I was saying, like not only the relationship, but also like go to school, get your nine to five, you know, get that little cottage on the lake you know yeah all those things it just starts i, right I wanted all
1: of those things man i wanted the whole package i wanted the lake house i wanted the city house i wanted the penthouse apartment in new york city i wanted the boyfriend the husband the whatever like i wanted all of these things and then i i don't know if you've ever seen um i think it's called savages with blake lively yeah, yeah. um okay that is my favorite non porno porno it is the best freaking film. All three of those people are hot. All three of those people are rich. All three of those people have weed. All three of those people have adventures. All three of those people love each other. There is no jealousy. And she gets to do whatever the fuck she wants. Sign me up. <laughs> that was my freedom movie. I was like, yes, I'm in. And then I think I was 23 or 24, maybe 22. Someone was like, okay, if you could pick between Aaron's character, I, I don't remember the character names, or Taylor's? Who would you pick? And I was like, nope. And all these years later, I still can't pick. I would take both. I would take both. I would fly to Bali, and I'd be gone. Y'all would never see me again. I'd be yeah. so happy.
0: Do you? And I. And I, I'm. This is like a personal and deep question. So if you don't want to answer it, that's because we've fine. been
1: so lighthearted
0: so far. <laughs> but, uh, but I do want to. Yeah, for true. Um, but I did want to <laughs> ask it because, you know, it's something. Like, after all this has happened and you're at the point where you're at now, do you feel you're at a place where you can start thinking about having those things again that you dreamed of one more day? Or do you feel because of what happened and everything you've been through, like that, that was taken and that now you you can't have it?
1: Um. Wow. <sighs>
0: Because it's I mean, as you are oh, that was like taking a bullet.
1: Um, that's a damn good question.
0: I just want like, does life have to be over when you're a victim of abuse? No, or can no, you no, no, no,
1: no, no. Keep life definitely changes. Like it's totally yeah. different than what I thought it was gonna be. Um, I'm okay. To clarify. Because one day he will hear this and he will laugh his ass off if he's not hearing it already through time and space. Because I believe in that kind of crap. Um, I am still waiting for Chris Evans. Not at all. Um, that was a Twitter joke that I started years and years and years, <laughs> years ago that he was my future husband. And then I actually was sitting on um, I don't know if you have them in Toronto, but we have um, like sea buses. So they take us to from one part of Vancouver to, to North Vancouver, where like the mountainside is. And so I'm sitting on this sea bus and I look over a shit, you not it's Chris Evans. He's filming in Vancouver and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm super chill right now. I'm stoned, but I'm super chill. I could take a picture. I could Instagram this shit and it would be hilarious. Twitter has been sitting right there. Right. And I seriously, like it's a, 15 minute C bus. So I had time to like sneak a photo. And I thought about it and I was like, nah. It was a self date night. Um, I had taken myself to downtown Vancouver, gotten super stoned, had a bunch of coffee, was wandering around. And I was thinking about what you're asking, right? And I'm thinking, oh my God, Fuck, Captain America is sitting right here, my future husband. And I didn't even want to say hello. I just wanted to be by myself. Mm. I just wanted to enjoy my own company. And it was nice. Like it was really nice. And I'm kind of addicted to it right now.
0: Mm.
1: Like I'm super fascinated with myself. I'm overweight, four cats, 38, living with my mom, right? Not like, I'm not Beyonce. I'm not Oprah at all by any stretch. But I'm happy. And that to me is super fascinating. And I don't want to lose that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that, like, if Chris Evans knocked on my door, I'm not gonna say no. <laughs> I'm not. Like, who fucking that'd be stupid?
0: I'm straight and I wouldn't. I,
1: no, absolutely I wouldn't. However, in my alone time, right? That's me. Like I need that. I'm craving that right now. And I'm really lucky because a lot of survivors don't get that. Mm. I'm on disability. Um so every penny I earn from my shop is what pays for the website. I like I don't have anything extra. Um, but I'm still really happy. I just like, I like Devin. She's really cool. She's weird and she's magical and she's supernatural and she's crazy and she's funny and artistic. And there's just like nobody in the world is as interesting as me right now. <laughs> And that's think, a really really blessed
0: place to be. Absolutely. Like that's what I think so many people struggle and it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much you know people adore you. Like you could be the most famous person in the world. Like you could have any job. You know, so many people struggle to get to that place.
1: Yeah. That
0: you're in where you can sit by yourself and enjoy it and be content and and look forward to it in even some cases right like some people dread being alone yeah i mean don't get me wrong i would
1: love to be alone on fuck off island which is owned by johnny depp because it's called fuck off island i really want to go there and it's beautiful and it's in the bahamas i would love that okay i can do loudmouth brown girl anywhere so if there's any (laughs) sponsors out there that are like here's a million bucks i will take that money but i'll still enjoy my alone time Mm. It's awesome.
0: Before I let you go, I did want to touch on the cannabis because this is a, yeah. a big part of your life. It's something I've it is, covered. Yeah. Um, it's something I've covered again. If anyone's interested in more in-depth, I have an episode from last year with Maddie Brown. Um, C B D has really changed my life in, in a positive way. It's
1: oh awesome.
0: Superbly. I take I started taking it last year uh in oil, and uh it's really helped my anxiety, um, which has do been amazing. Do you smoke it
1: at all or do you just do the oil?
0: No, I I do smoke it sometimes, but I take the oil regularly. Like I take that daily as like, so
1: which do you prefer though? Do you prefer the oil or do you prefer the smoking?
0: I prefer the oil. Um, I don't love being super stoned. Um, but like with high CBD content, like I'm happier with that.
1: So I try to,
0: I try to get a balance instead of getting, you know, that like purple chronic you know, those big fancy names with like a huge high THC count that are just going to get me bombed. It's
1: always Don't the white that. boys that are like, let me get the purple chronic or the blue Kush." i like, you're only smoking that because you saw it in a Snoop Dogg album.
0: <laughs> like, I'm like, no, no, like I, I would die off that. I think so. But yeah. CBD has been really nice for me. So good. I love how that. has, I mean, you've kind of danced around it and said it's really helped you, but like, what is it about? getting super stoned or that the cannabis in general has just helped transform your life in this way.
1: It's so funny because for years, like years, people were like, smoke a joint, smoke a joint, smoke a joint, smoke a joint. I'm like, no, fuck off. Leave me alone. I do you not want to be stoned? Like I said, I was working at church and I was working with a lot of people who have severe addiction to crack, to meth, to heroin, to fentanyl, to all of the things, mm. um, living in severe poverty, for a variety of reasons, some for trauma, some for PTSD, some for were... shit happened, man. And one day they picked up a pipe and that was the end of that. Um, and so like getting stoned just didn't kind of like make sense to me. But then like I'd go to a strip club and get drunk mm. and like the firemen that I worked with were like, OK, so you, you won't smoke a joint, but you'll go to a strip club and hang out with gangsters. and get." And I was like, look. <laughs> Drinking is socially acceptable and I like boobs. Leave me alone. And that was, that was my explanation. But then when I got arrested, I knew that things were going to get so bad that if I started drinking, I wouldn't stop. Mm. Like I knew it was going to get bad because I, it was like your body has this internal register. That's like, yo, you've been through some shit time to do it. We're warning you floodgates are opening, be prepared. And I, I didn't have a support system. I didn't know where to go or, or who to talk to. So smoking cannabis was sort of, okay, well, maybe if I smoke weed, I won't lose my shit. Mm. Maybe I won't kill myself. Maybe I won't go kill other people. Give me something that will keep me inebriated long enough that I can acknowledge what happened, be angry about it, but not get violent about it. That was my like my main concern was I didn't want to be the angry drunk black chick going to the strip club to kill the guys who had raped me. And I was really worried that I was going to do that. Um, and so cannabis literally was like, don't worry about it. We got you. And so I had to try a few different strains. Um, I did do blueberry Kush for a while. And all it did was put me to sleep. And I was like, I wanted to function. I wanted mm-hmm. to be able to work and, and do stuff. And about three years in, I kind of woke up and I was like, whoa, wait. Loudmouth Brown Girl is kind of a brand. It's not, like, it's not just a blog. Like, there's mm-hmm. a t-shirt line. And 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 there's cannabis involved. And I could, like, there are women who work in cannabis. And it's funny because right before I went for my trip um, <laughs> for CJSF Radio, <laughs> I was at a meeting or maybe it might've been after I was at a meeting with the the whole staff of the station and walked downstairs and literally like this group of like 50 women all smoking weed. And I took a sniff of the air and I was like, what, where, where did you come from? Why are you here? Where are you goddesses from? And they were like, we are Canadian women in cannabis. And I went, what is that? I need to know more. Give me more information. And so I got hooked in with them and it's like women across Canada that smoke weed. And I was like, Oh yeah, I found my trap. And through them I met education. And then education was like, did you know you could become a cannabis instructor? And I went, Oh, I could work in a dispensary. I could go back to helping people again. I could be useful again. So um, I started taking this course uh, from healer.com written by Dr. Sulak, who at, I swear to god I've waited my whole life for this man to become a doctor to learn about cannabis so that he could teach me about cannabis. Like I I have been waiting for him. Um and I'm loving the course. I'm loving everything I'm learning. I have a network that literally spans the freaking globe from like Tobago to to Paris of women who smoke and work in the cannabis industry. One of my friends, Stacey Bolbach, she just um, from education, board member, just went to Portugal to talk about cannabis Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, and to talk about legalizing it there. And we learned through her that they have completely cut out the cartels and they've made drugs legal across the Mm -hmm. board, Mm -hmm. all of them, which is so cool. Mm -hmm. And so now they're trying to figure out how to navigate making cannabis legal um, for a lot of reasons, but doing it differently than Canada. So, and I'm actually interviewing somebody tomorrow for State Lifted Sis, who is in Europe, um, who came to Canada. And she was like, yeah, your cannabis is shit show. It's messed up. And I don't like it. And it's horrible. Hmm. So it's going to be interesting to kind of hear how it's different in Europe versus mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. it is here.
0: That's really interesting. Um, yeah. I didn't know about Portugal. I literally,
1: dude, i like, I walked out of SFU And there were 50 women smoking weed. They're like, that is a sign from the universe.
0: Yeah. If you're, everything happens for a reason. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the trip was shit, but like at the end of the trip, I got Canadian women cannabis out of the deal. So.
0: Yeah. So I guess, well, I don't want to say it worked out, but I mean, it put you to where you are now. I am
1: bitter about the fact that the, the abusive cop that called me a loudmouth brown bitch And all of the people who abused me before kind of get credit for giving me the title. Mm. Like I'm a little bitter about that fact, but I'm also a little grateful. I won't tell them that. So this is between you and the internet audience. Um, But I am a little bit like, okay, it's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, um, this was, you know, a difficult, but also amazing conversation. So I really thank you. Um, You've mentioned, your, your website, you have, you know, lot I've, I've went through it. Lots of pieces of writing, um, cannabis, and uh, you said you had a shop. So where do people find you to, to find all that and get more
1: information? Um, so browngirl.com, Instagram, Twitter, all of the things that they 604 North will be released, I want to say, April 2022. I'm holding on to it. I'm, I'm building up content. I'm trying to, like, get some videos up. I want to do some things. I want to make sure that when you come to the site, because um, it's a completely different site than, than Loudmouth Brown Girl. It is 604 North is a hundred percent cannabis. Like mm-hmm. everything is cannabis education um, and stories about my personal experience with addiction and, and um, people who have, who've have been through it. Um, so it's, it's all like drug related. I, I just, I want to hold on to it a little while longer, but I'll announce it on the site when it's ready to go live and, we'll do an event and you'll be invited and oh, it'll be fun. And yeah, it's going to be cool. I've got, we've got um, some cannabis educators that are going to come. We've got some people that, in, that are in the industry and it's all going to be through zoom. I feel like I kind of owe it to the internet world right now to do it through zoom. Cause like the whole pandemic y'all were sort of there for me. <laughs> so sort of my way of saying thank you tickets are going to be super cheap um, cause I'm broke ass and I need your two
0: dollars. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Fair. Yeah. It's
1: going to be a fun day
0: though. Awesome. Well, we'll keep our eyes peeled for that on uh, social thank media and your you. website. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you so much. It was great to connect with you. Um, you're amazing
1: dude you like you should really really consider counseling if you don't already you're (laughs) really
0: good at it I work in radio so maybe completely the opposite but um you You know have
1: your own counseling I just I'm saying you ask good questions
0: thank you um but uh, thank you for your time and energy because again I know sharing these things are not easy at all so um I appreciate you sharing that space with me and and my platform and, and my audience as well so um I hope you have Can a I good time. Can I just say crash. thanks
1: for listening? Like, it's not... Um, to anybody that's still here hearing me right now, thank you. Like, it's it's not easy to listen to this stuff and to take it in and, and to get inspired to activate, but um, it sucks sharing your story. I'm not going to say that it gets easier, but I am going to say that it gets easier when you share your story than if you don't.
0: Yes, I will attest to that as well. So... Um... Loudmouth Brown Girl, thank you so much. This is-
1: you take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.